Welcome to St. Martin the Fields and welcome to Great Sacred Music. Today we're reflecting on the life and poetry of John Donne and of the music that has derived from it. John Donne was a Catholic. He never got a degree because of this, despite attending Oxford University at the age of 11. And he studied to be a lawyer and in 1592 was admitted to Lincoln's Inn, just half a mile along the road from here. He began to question his Catholicism after his brother died of the bubonic plague in prison, uh, and he'd been imprisoned for harboring a Catholic priest. Thereafter, John Donne had three phases of life. The first may put you in mind of the famous footballer George Best, from the 60s and 70s, who you may remember said, I spent all my money on booze and cars and women, but the rest I just wasted. Uh, you could say that about uh, John Donne's first period of life. He spent his, not the cars, of course, um, but he spent his, uh, his money similarly, a great deal of travel. He brought, fought briefly against the Spanish before later being appointed chief secretary to the Lord Keeper of the Great Seal at York House, just round the corner here on the Strand. The second period, he was impoverished. He married his patron's niece, don't ever go doing that, and was thrown into Fleet Prison for this misdemeanor, whereupon he wrote the famous words, John Donne, Anne Donne, Undone. The third period was his religious era. He was ordained at 43, became Dean of St. Paul's Cathedral six years later, and in 1624, after a near-fatal illness, became vicar of St. Dunstan in the West. He was then buried in St. Paul's Cathedral. Now, the one failure of his life was that he didn't leave any hymns that it's fairly easy for us to sing. So it's our tradition of great sacred music to begin with a hymn we all sing together. It's, this one isn't by John Donne, but it's by uh, a couple of contemporaries of his, so it will give you a flavour for his his era. If you find these little sheets, if you haven't got one with you and you're in the building, there's one just in the aisle towards the back. Um, I hope you'll sing along with us at home if you're online and we're going to remain seated as we sing, uh, as the voices stand and lead us as we sing together with all the powers my poor soul hath.
Now we're going to enjoy two of John Donne's pieces. The first one set by a contemporary, uh, John Dowland, who was principally a lute player and in 1612 became one of the king's lutes at a salary of 20 pence a day, a princely sum. This is a sweet stay a while, exploring many themes of love, the desire to keep love free from the cares of work and business, but conscious that if light fell upon all the lover's activities, it might introduce distrust, to say the least. And then we're going to hear Imogen Holst's setting of A Hymn to Christ. You can't find the true love of Christ until you love him more than you love anyone in the world, this poem argues. Dunn, John Dunn wanted the true love of a woman, but here in A Hymn to Christ, he's altered his thinking. Now he does not want loyalty of any woman, but loyalty in his own love towards Christ. Uh, this, uh, this anthem just sets the opening stanzas uh, in which John Donne compares the sea with the sacred blood which Christ shed for all humanity.
Well, uh, in a change to the public programme, one of my favourite phrases, I don't get to use it very often, in a change to the public programme, we're not going to hear Jonathan Dove, we're going to him, uh, hear William Bradley Roberts's setting of what he calls a prayer of John Donne, but is better known as the hymn to God the Father. This is a curious poem because it's not a poem of praise or a hymn of praise, it's a, it's a kind of live debate, particularly about sin and forgiveness in which there's a, there's a kind of to and fro. Will you forgive my sins, which I was responsible for, though many have committed them before me, is the opening question, I'm paraphrasing. If you will forgive me for those sins, then your work will not be done, for I have more sins to confess when we're done with those. Will you forgive me when I've led others to sin and even introduced them to the world of sin, acting like a door to welcome them in? Will you forgive me for the sin which, barring a couple of years of abstinence, I practiced for, whole, for 20 whole years? I wonder what that could possibly be. Again, if you will forgive me for those sins, then you should know there are more sins still to come. I also have another sin, that of fear, or specifically fear of death. But if you, God, can swear that when I die, I will see your son, Jesus Christ, shining and there to save me, then all is all right. I fear no more. So as you see, it's a constant, I know better than you, God, but finally you have the last word. Um, the other dimension to this poem, this hymn, is the play on words between the name John Donne and the word done. You may notice that the word done comes, I think, seven times in this short poem. Let's hear this setting by Bradley Roberts.
Well, when you hear the voices sing like that, you think, it's, I want to go and chance to sing myself. And that opportunity is now yours, because we're going to sing again together. Uh, again, never apologize, never explain, but we don't have a hymn from John Donne. We do have a hymn from a distinguished contemporary that you might have come across called George Herbert. And uh, what's fascinating, this is, this is the only hymn, uh, this is the only poem in George Herbert's book, The Temple, that is actually a psalm. It's obviously Psalm 23, the most familiar of all the psalms, but because a hymn like this and others like The King of Love, My Shepherd is are so familiar, we might miss the ways in which this version differs from the original in the Bible. For example, the, uh, the original psalm doesn't have the word love in it, but we kind of assume it must be there. So we don't notice that this uh, hymn begins, the God of love my shepherd is, even though the word love doesn't appear in Psalm 23. <clears throat> but what happens in uh, the line, he is mine and I am his, isn't there in the psalm either but it sort of feels familiar and feels like it kind of ought to be there, so we're quite happy seeing it. <clears throat> but what's fascinating, if you look closely at this, this hymn, is that in every single verse, about half of it uh, is about what God is for us, and about half of it is about, about our response to God. It's all classic Herbert, it's all beautifully measured, it's all beautifully balanced, so faith is half made up, of what God has done for us and half made up of our response. And again, it's so beautifully done that you don't even notice it unless somebody points it out because it comes so naturally. So we remain seated and the voices stand and lead us as we sing the God of love, my shepherd is. <laughs>
well, we're coming towards the end of Great Sacred Music for this week. Uh, do notice that next, the next uh, Great Sacred Music is Hosanna to the Son of David, because we're coming up to Palm Sunday next Thursday, um, and that the next Choral Classics on Sunday is uh, God So Loved the World. Um, if you've enjoyed yourself today, I hope you have. There's an opportunity to make a donation as you leave. You can uh, use the little QI code on the back of the sheets. You can swipe a card in the porch. Uh, you can go on our website. You can text. You can even use cash. And that's a rare excitement today. So do make the most of the opportunity. Isn't cash a wonderful thing? Um, do look out for concerts. The full range of uh, St. Martin's Choral Ensembles uh, is uh, in action in the next uh, week or two. Uh, on Saturday, this coming Saturday at 7.30, the Choir of St. Martin's Fields and St. Martin's Chamber Orchestra, conducted by Jennifer Sterling, uh, will be singing Mozart's Requiem by Candlelight, the best way to sing it. Also works by Bruckner and Brahms. Uh, then... On the 8th of April, St. Martin's Chamber Ensemble will be uh, singing Pergolesi's Stabat Mater by Candlelight. We will put out the candles between the two concerts, but they'll both be wonderful. And then uh, after you've attended our three hours devotion between 12 and 3 on Good Friday, you're welcome to break your fast if you must, um, and then come back at 7.30 for Bach's St. John Passion in German, sung by uh, St. Martin's Voices, conducted by our very own Andrew Eris, who's conducting today. So lots to look forward to in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to finish with another setting. We started off, and we're going to finish in the same way with a different setting of Bring Us, O Lord God. I guess if you could be persuaded to think that St. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13 for weddings, which of course he didn't, but you hear it so often at weddings, you might think he did. You might think John Donne wrote uh, the prayer, bring us, O Lord God, for funerals or memorial services because it's such uh, a common uh, occurrence to have that, a, a version either sung or said at memorial services. Um, but this is a more complex prayer than it appears. Uh, Donne speaks of heaven as a place of true harmony. There's these four resonant references to equality, one equal light, equal music, equal possession, and equal eternity. And of course, because we're post-enlightenment beings, we assume this relates to egalitarianism of equal opportunity, equal, equal rights, and so on. But I don't think that's what uh, John Donne originally had in mind. Uh, he was talking about a balance between rest and activity which is what he imagined heaven to be. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>